Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World. And I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Michelle. Hello, Michelle Post. Hello, Scott Grossberg. Hi, everybody. How are y'all doing out there? How's Florida? Florida is cold and bright and beautiful and clear-skied. Same as here. Um, Do you guys have the time change where you are? Because we do. Yes. Yeah, it's nationwide. Oh, no, no. My no, sister's in Arizona, Arizona and Hawaii yeah. and a couple other states don't do it. Yeah. 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 I just, I'm just I, confused because I have international clients. Yeah, exactly. And Europe goes through it at a different time. And they did so it last week. Me all. <laughs> it's yeah, me they did it last. <laughs> I've had the same thing with my mastermind group. Um, that It's like, where the hell is everybody? Yeah. <laughs> and then they show up an hour later and it's like, they didn't get it. And I said, well, great. Yeah. Now, now, so here's Scott's faux pas. I'm talking to all these people internationally and I'm telling them, okay, next week there's a time change. Yeah, for, now for, for, for the US. <laughs> for the US. So for those of you who are here in the US, I just want you to know while we started 10, it would have been nine o'clock. And they're like, huh? And I, and it took the people from Europe to say, Scott, it, it's 10 o'clock. It's not. It's not nine a o'clock. different time. It's, it's the same 10 time. o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting. I, like, I hate the freaking time changes. I like I think this was the first year that I had so many different places. Like I had yeah. Budapest, London, Brussels, and there was one more. Berlin. And so like the only way that I didn't screw up my entire week is my Budapest person was on Sunday. And pointed out to me that the time change had happened, which is why they were arriving <laughs> like an odd time. And I was like, oh, God. And so I had to scramble and get everybody else. In some mess. Well, it, so I've got some folks in South Korea and oh. it's already tomorrow. Did they go through the time? Ch- oh, it's already tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about time travel. Yeah. So I, I always joke. I always joke with one individual in particular. And it's like, as long as as long as I know you're there, I know that there's a tomorrow. We're all good. <laughs> I know that's so bizarre. When I, I think I had somebody in Australia and it was the same thing. I was like, oh, it's tomorrow. OK, <laughs> there you go. Oh, boy. Anyway, time well, change. Was... How was your Halloween? Um, uh, well, I was at the Magic Castle for Halloween. I know. Uh, I I believe Halloween was fine. We had uh, uh, gone to Costco and gotten the requisite chocolate. Uh, there's <laughs> still some left, so I might be indulging a bit. Uh, bizarrely, <laughs> we've talked about this before. I freaking love candy corn, right? Yes. So my wife got a bag of the most bizarre looking candy corn oh because rather than the normal colors it's like purple and whatever else uh-huh and it tastes like cotton candy it's cotton Ooh. candy candy corn oh my do you like it better than I, the other 
I don't know though. I'm I still, know. I still have to work past the fact what candy corn is and what it's coated with. Right. <laughs> I get it. I understand. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, think uh, Thanksgiving Halloween was spectacular. Uh, so was, uh, so I did eight shows, 32 shows total or eight nights, 32 shows at the castle. Uh, literally doing gallery readings uh, mm. and having it was fun and entertaining. It was very upbeat and all very positive and standing room only crowd. So that was awesome. wonderful. And everybody was in costume for all eight nights. How fun. And here I will say this. Here's one of the cool things. One of the ways into the castle, at least the way I go, is you take the back roads past Warner Brothers and Universal Studios and kind of curve around which takes you by the hollywood bowl well some of the nights before i was going it was danny elfman doing nightmare before christmas oh wow the costumes of people walking up the street from jack skellington (laughs) to sally um somebody was actually somebody actually showed up at the castle dressed as sally with the ghost dog it was (laughs) amazing um (laughs) And then uh, I can't tell you the name of the band. It's one of my daughter's favorite bands was playing actually on Halloween. Mm. And I've never seen so many people walking up the street uh, in white with red dresses, male and female. I I can't even tell you what the group was, but, um, you know, Hollywood is normally Hollywood anyway. Yes. you, You add the Halloween season to it. Yes. And unbelievable there were people who showed up uh that must have spent hours with professional makeup artists because i've Ugh. never seen i mean everything from white rabbits to uh again nightmare before christmas we had frankensteins um <laughs> the, the whole adams family at one point showed up uh <laughs> it, with thing on somebody's shoulder <laughs> yeah and it was just it really was very cool and i enjoyed yeah. it and and the cool part is this is the uh, 60th anniversary of the oh. academy of magical arts and i've been very oh. fortunate to have not only gotten to perform in the close-up gallery and lecture there now i got to do this special event so uh, i'm part of magic castle history it's kind of it's it's been pretty cool Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Your, thank you. How was your Halloween? Well, so my Halloween was um, really cute. Brian and I handed out candy. I didn't have to hide in, in the kitchen to cook dinner this year. Um, we actually handed out candy. And I will say my favorite costume of the night, how can I describe this, was a little tiny kid inside of what looked like a bear that was blown up. Like you might see a blow up, you might see like a, a blow up teddy bear on a lawn during Christmas or a blow oh, yeah, up yeah. Santa Claus. But this was a kid walking around inside of a teddy bear that was blown up. And and like he was so tiny and this costume was so big Yeet. with all its air that he could barely move. And I said to him something like, it's so cute. I don't know how you walk in that. And he goes, I don't know, sir. <laughs> so it's very funny now that you mentioned that i gotta tell you before we move into our our show today because i know we got a lot to cover during one of my shows a lady was doing was wearing exactly the same thing but it was a rabbit 
Uh-huh. The whole big, like, you know, you plug air into it. That yeah, big like, puff- I don't know how they say puffed up. Well, more importantly, um, I'm in the showroom and, the, and you know, the showroom seats are not luxurious. <laughs> and she's sitting down and her question for the night, I kid you not, was, will I pop tonight? <laughs> <laughs> that is hysterical. Wow. I asked her what her name was and she told me Wabbit. 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 And I said, will okay. I pop and I said, okay, we'll all be very, very quiet. <laughs> so. That is super cute. Oh my. <laughs> so shall we shall we move into today's topic? Yes, it's a it's a big one. It wow. it is a big one. It's gender roles and the movies. And yes. I know um you suggested this topic because it's near and dear to your heart. And yes. I didn't I don't know. If you mind, if I start, because I pulled up some statistics, I pulled up some statistics getting ready for the show today, and I was shocked, by the way. And and these stats come from Variety, which is the Hollywood Entertainment Magazine uh, mm-hmm. for people in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And these stats are from 2021 and mm-hmm. 2020. I don't yep. think that's changed. And I was shocked. 85% of films have uh, more featured male characters than female characters. Yep. Um, which means that male characters are outnumbering female characters by two to one. Yes. Thirty-one percent of films featured sole female protagonists, and only seven percent of films had more female than male characters. Um, by the way, that dropped in twenty twenty one from twenty twenty. <laughs> Wow. Um, where uh, you know the stats were higher and i was literally i thought okay maybe it's just hollywood right and then i went and looked up some other things and four times there are four times more male characters in literature than there are female that's right that's right so that's that's not even i mean that's just using the binary male female and, that's and not yet, even... let me let me check uh, what percentage of the world population are women yeah. You know, it's funny. I was 50, just in case. 50. I, I was not, I was, not I, including wait, wait. our non-binary. But here's the fun part. I was you know. it, it just in having read those stats, I happened to be at the gym. And you know, when you do the the, the your workout, they have TVs all the way around. Uh-huh. Frickin' Jurassic Park was on, and it was on the section where the the guy that started Jurassic Park was talking about their fail-safe. They only have female species. And therefore, they they can't do anything. And the the, the Goldblum character says, no, "No, you don't get it. Life finds a way." <laughs> and then I'm just reading about a, a shark uh, that, in captivity, gave birth by itself. Well, you know that's how oysters oysters procreate themselves, and so and oysters are all born are all born male and for a short period of time and then turn female or something like that, or it's the other way around. And there's actually a point in time where an oyster can procreate with itself. (laughs) So going back to, yes, how many people, right? The male female dichotomy. Yes. And that's not even to talk about, um, you know, how you self-identify separately. That's right. the The reality is, yeah, we need you guys. We need. <laughs> so, so I don't know if we'll get to it today, but if we get to my research about the Barbie movie, which is what inspired this topic, 
I'm going to warn any of you that there will be spoiler alerts about the Barbie movie, but I'll tell you when we get there. So if you want to turn us off until you see, see the movie, that's fine. But the main thing, the three main movies that I'm, I'm pulling from, one is a documentary from 2019 called This Changes Everything, which used to be available on Hulu. Um, now you kind of have to search for it. The film, The Barbie Movie, which is not out streaming yet, but has been in the theaters and should be out soon. And the documentary on Hulu called Fair Play, which is about male-female differences and the invisible load, which we've talked about on a previous episode. Mm -hmm. But the reason why gender roles and the movies are so near and dear to my heart is that film and media are one of the main ways that we tell our stories, that we share our narratives, that we share our culture. And when biases are behind or in front of the camera, they affect and influence our cultural society because a female's experience is, again, we're talking about binary, right? And there's a lot of non-binary. So forgive me for those of you who listen who are non-binary. We have a, a few, but regardless, Um, if we're talking about the binary genders, then these biases exist because the way a person who identifies as woman films and shoots and the angles with which they shoot are different than the way a man. So even down to camera angles affect the way our stories are told. So anyway, going back, one of the things that you can do, there's a, a really strange test called the Bechdel test. B-E-C-H-D-E-L test. Do you know this test? Are you familiar with it? Uh, I'm going to, I don't know it by that name. Let me look it up real quick. So I'll tell you what it is. The Bechdel test is a a test to see if a movie stands up at all to gender, gender, uh, you know, standards. And it's Mm -hmm. so simple that it's two women are on the screen having a conversation not about a man. And if your movie at any point for any length of time has two women on the screen having a conversation, not about a man character in the film. So it could be about nail polish, like in one film, it could be, you know, then they pass what's called the Bechdel test. And what's sad is that is so minimal compared to equality. And yet it's still so profoundly absent in most of our films. So one of the best sources of information that you can try to find is This Changes Everything, the documentary from 2019. So some of my data are a little bit old, but in that you see a lot of researchers, historians, filmmakers discussing the effects of gender in the movies. And what they propose is that what we see shapes how we treat each other and the possibilities for our lives. Well, you've talked about this before, and and I'm going to just real briefly, because I believe you said men, and again, I'm using some binary terms here, so let's just Mm -hmm. um, just be be patient with us while we Mm -hmm. work through this. Men learn about, I can't remember if you said- relationships, but sex. Well, okay. So sex, relationships, intimacy- through porn. Yep. And women 
learn the same sex intimacy relationships through romantic comedies romantic right so it's like the meg ryan approach and they are both really flawed <laughs> really really flawed and lead us into a lot of difficulties in our relationships so anyway the this uh, this changes every everything documentary is based off of the gina davis Institute on Gender in Media. So Gina Davis started this institute because she was in Thelma and Louise, and it was one of the first characters. The ultimate female buddy movie. The ultimate female buddy movie. And she thought for sure, now that this film has shown what a blockbuster it could be, for sure women are going to have movies available to them in the same quantity as men, and we're going to show female protagonists. And it didn't. And so she dedicated a lot of time and money into studying the data behind this to try to shift the narrative. And what they found is 80% of the media in the world, you know, as of at least 2019, was created in and exported from the United States. And that media is responsible for how we have portrayed women and men and how men treat women. So if you look at, um, if you look at the website for the Gina, even if you can't find this changes everything, if you look at the website for the Gina Davis Institute, they have all these studies and findings that you can look for review, including how commercials in many foreign countries um, affect both um, domestic violence and rape against women in those countries. Really fascinating stuff there. Um, she also talked about, um, or one of the studies showed that out of 200 movies in 2015, males had two times more the screen time than females. And even when the, the film had a female lead character, male characters had equal screen time and equal speaking time, even when the female was the lead character. Whereas when the film had male leads, females were seen and heard two times less yeah. than men. Even though blockbusters with female leads gross dramatically more than blockbusters with male leads. So what they were showing is that female lead movies had been making much more than male lead movies and they're still sidelined. So there's a ton of, of data on there. Um, what they found is that Historically, most TV and film is men making media for other men, and men have four to five times the characters, and they see on screen, they see the funny one, the smart one, the successful one, whereas women have this role where they either are the girlfriend being ditched, or the girl being rescued, or the most perfectly beautiful woman so that the male is attracted to her. And these are the roles that women are falling in. in yeah, which by, no by the way, you know, as someone who, <laughs> as someone with a lot of entertainment background in yeah. general and screenwriting, directing in particular, right? That's that's where yes. I, I learned my trade. Uh, it's very interesting because one of the things I rely on is the hero's journey and the Jungian archetypes, which yes. are not primarily male right yeah. there there is actually more female archetypal uh figures uh mm. and yet we haven't been seeing that and yes I, 
I wonder, because we've talked a, a little bit, we haven't gotten deep into it, and I'm not going to profess to be an expert, right? The right. women as someone to be rescued role, yes. and the women as the the victims of of rape and and of sexual exploitation, it's a power thing. It is. Right? This is, that, by the way, and I think that we need to underscore this, I don't think most people, there are probably some, I don't think most people would argue the fact that these are power plays by men, not right. to say that women can't rape and not to say that men can't be raped by other men, et cetera. But That's again, right. just using generalities, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, I, I think it's a power thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which then Absolutely. puts us into that very warlike male figure society. Right. Um, and we've even seen it in organized religion where men and women are separated out and it's a, a male oriented situation, mm -hmm. um, which I've always found, I've always found ironic considering the way women are actually in power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. So in the, in the data that they were reviewing, all of this male, female stuff doesn't even include how marginalized Latina and black women are or Latino and black men, et cetera. And what they were saying is that there's, there's something in the psyche that when you can't see yourself reflected on TV, you begin to feel invisible and for some, you begin to feel like you're not meant to be alive. And an example of that was when uh, when Gina Davis was working with her archery coach, it was at the time when Brave, which was a, a Disney film about an archery princess with red hair and Hunger Games came out and they were noticing that archery enrollment of girls shot up to a 105% increase from those films. And the number of enrollment for girls outscored the number of men signing up for archery courses. And that effect has been known as the CSI effect. So when CSI came out with female scientists, <laughs> it, it had such a profound effect on the industry that we are now seeing women in forensic science oh, yeah. up to about 50-50, which is reflection in the population. But uh, what they were doing is they looked at, they looked at, okay, so let's take directors, directors. And they found in an entire century of film, only one woman in a century had one director of the year. And that was Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker. And then it took nine more years for Catherine to get another shot. <laughs> and then Sharon Stone was in the film and she talked about how at different times, like talk about the Me Too generation or the Me Too movement, she was asked to sit on a director's lap in order to get direction. And if she refused, she was sent back to her trailer to be punished. Oh, yeah. And once she said, well, do you ask Tom Hanks to sit on your lap in order to get direction? And of course, that was not well received. Um, but they started to look back at, well, you know, was this problem ever not a problem? And in fact, in silent films, writers, directors, camera, all the production crew, all ev it was about 50-50 in silent films, women, men, back in that time. But the coming of sound in films 
consolidated power through money and movie making followed by unions fought to keep women out and keep them low paid. And there it, it continued on. So even in 1969 with the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission was actually asked to do an investigation based off of all of this blocked um, access. And they found a, a big problem in Hollywood with discrimination and brought it to Congress mostly men who also blocked any enforcement of laws of the equal opportunity. So the person who found this study ended up quitting was just so sidelined that he ended up quitting. Um, But then they found this really fascinating thing that I think it was Gina Davis, but don't quote me. It was somebody who went back to childhood entertainment. And what they found in childhood entertainment was that in a group of people's monsters, fish, snakes, whatever, you know, even in childhood um, entertainment, that there were no more than 15 to 70, 17% of characters that were women. And we saw that reflected in Congress. We see it reflected in uh, Fortune 500 companies where it was only the year, only recently that we went to 12% of, of Fortune 500 companies are led by female CEOs. And so they did this whole study because basically they went to the studios and they said, hey, I think there's some bias even in childhood media to not have equal representation, male, female. And they're like, no, 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 that's ridiculous. Like we're so female driven and even female executives were shocked. They were like, no, no, that's not happening. And so they studied it for a two year period. They looked at the media from 2004 to 2006 in all the childhood media and 72% of the speaking roles and four out of five narrator roles were male. And what they uncovered was that the bias is unconscious. So fascinating. So since 1946, this ratio of male female has been about one in five or 15 to 70% are female to male. Um, And then this fascinating article came out. to say that, oh, well, that's just because there's no, you know, like some of the excuses were, well, that's because there's no people of color or there's no women that have the experience. We don't trust a woman to do a billion dollar uh, Marvel movie or DC movie or superhero movie. But what there was an article written by, um, by a journalist who highlighted the hiring differences in gender and put all this data out based off of the Gina Davis Foundation. And they actually found that the FX channel was the worst at their data because they had 89% white male directors, 49, um, and the FX CEO was like, well, his name is John Landgraf at the time. And he was so confronted by this article because he saw himself as an ally. He saw himself as a person that, you know, wanted equality between. He saw himself as wanting to be open to non-binary gender roles and to people of color. And so he dedicated himself from the top down to saying, we need to change this now. And between from... 2016, from 2015, when the article came out, 89% of white male directors went to 49% white male directors by 2016. And it opened the doors to people of color, to women and to non-binary gender and to able-bodied people. 
And lo and behold, by 2018, they received 52 mm. Emmy nominations. So he now is so, he confronted his own white male hetero privilege. He kind of focused on his gender bias. And he said, if you're, if you think it's a talent issue, it's not, you just have to say all are welcome here and dedicate yourself to it. And you begin to see the floodgates open. So there's a lot of good data about that from the Gina Davis foundation that we need to be more consciously aware of how we're doing things. Well, you know, I, I used to see it in the legal profession a lot. Oh, I bet. Right. right? You know, and, and I grew up with what's called the old boy network. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I watched women be excluded and trivialized and minimized and, you know, hit upon. And I've always gone back to this nurture or nature construct, right? Growing up, I don't remember where I first saw it, but we've all seen the cavemen grabbing the lady by the hair with the the club and dragging her off, right? I (laughs) I don't remember ever seeing the female drag the male off. No. And and so a lot of us, it, 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 there's that modeling. And then yeah. I look at nature, right? You've got very, by the way, Barbara Stanwyck and, and Betty Davis and all these very strong female lead roles yeah. that unfortunately back then were very minimal in comparison mm-hmm. with the ratio. And then I look back at bees, right? We've, we've had bees here at the house and hives, and there's a thing called a queen bee. And yes. then the, the males are drones. Yes. There is no queen bee equivalent in society, by the way. There's no, no. male queen bee. The no. queen bee is it. You look at our strong female characters today, right. uh, Gal Gadot and, um, you know, all the way back when I was growing up, like Linda Carter with Wonder Woman and right. these very strong female roles uh, that when you start realizing everybody's welcome here, Yes. You start opening your eyes more and you start looking in nature. Yes. There's an alpha dog. I'll just tell you right now, Mm -hmm. my little tiny female (laughs) Presley, um, you don't piss her off, right? (laughs) Alpha dog does not mean alpha male. It doesn't mean alpha male. No. Um, No. And, and yet, uh, you know, I I go back to Game of Thrones. I loved Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Or, or, you know, very strong female characters. Look at the, the, the female audience who started adapting and adopting these names. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we're going through a new modeling trend. I I hope so. What I don't know is how long it takes for it to hold, to take root, right. to get for traction, right? Right. Uh, that was Gina Davis's point is we've had these set points before where people are like, like, um, like, oh, what now? So another example was uh, Reese Witherspoon after the Legally Blondes. Yeah. She went around to all the major studios and she's like, oh, you know, I'm at the top of my career. What do you have that's being uh, created for me? Or what do you have in the works for me? And every one of them said no. Yep. And so she invested her own money and started creating projects through, you know, that's where you see the morning show on Apple TV. That's where you see Big Little Lies 
coming into play. That's where you see spectacular wild. stuff, by the way. Yeah. So all she began to bond with these other powerful female actress actors who wanted more perspective from the female position. Um, but now let's shift to the Barbie movie because the best way I can this first part has no spoiler alerts in it. But the best way I can describe this is I had resistance to the Barbie movie, just like this, this article written for Calo News by Teresa Puente in 2023, August, she highlighted a lot of things that I really related to. But first of all, historically, I did, I did not love Barbie. And what we found is Barbie came on the market in 1959 from Ruth Handler, who was inspired by the German Lily doll which was around since 56, by the way, the German Lily doll, apparently, supposedly was a prostitute gag gift handed out at bachelor parties. And thus we have toys for little girls makes complete sense to me. Right. (laughs) But anyway, in the, in this article, Teresa wrote how the Barbie in general had highlighted feelings that she had for herself growing up, that she was a petite, curvy brown woman, and she hated Barbie because it represented something that she could never be. Tall, lanky, thin, blonde, white. Plus, they were expensive and a sign of privilege if you were someone, like they were expensive toys. It wasn't until like 1967 that they had kind of a darker skinned Barbie who was like Francie, the cousin from Spain or cousin from France. And then there was the first Latina Barbie in 1980. And the first curvy Barbie didn't end up on the market till 2016. So just how females look in their own dolls was showing up in our toys. And Barbie tried to do things like this comes out in the Barbie movie that, oh, there's all these careers that Barbie can do. Right. But in reality, in 1960, when Barbie first came out, the the first career was fashion designer Barbie. Uh, 61 was flight attendant ballerina and registered nurse Barbie. Now, by the way, these stereotypes that are all female, right, really hurt even my male counterparts today, like my friend Oscar, who really likes being a male flight attendant, or my partner, Brian, who is a registered nurse and gets flagged all the time with kind of these patriarchal put downs like nurse, you know, and if people he, he would say people he'd walk into the room, the ICU, and they'd say, Oh, are you my male nurse? But people would never say, Oh, are you my female nurse? <laughs> Oh wow! But anyway, I I, hmm. I think there's something about Brian being in the nursing field and experiencing being a uh, a minority within the field that kind of creates him as an ally to a, a lot of women and a lot of LGBTQ. I, I got to tell you, I've experienced not like to that degree, mm-hmm. but I have certainly had radio hosts, among other things, comment on the fact that I am male heterosexual doing fortune telling <laughs> and, yes. and the fact that it's a predominantly female yeah. world. Well, you know, as therapists, a male therapist is sought after more and paid more than female therapists. So 
even in a field and, and this happened to Brian a lot. He was often tried to, they promoted him and gave him raises, even when he wasn't seeking them. Whereas women would barely get them if they were seeking them. So, you know, just watching Barbie expand over the years into things like 63, she was this career girl, like a girl Friday, Um, thankfully there was astronaut Barbie in 65 kind of matching up with the times and surgeon Barbie in 73, but let's not forget that she still has to be a fashion model in 77 and an aerobics instructor in 84, right? (laughs) And no wonder we ex-generationers growing up in the seventies and eighties really had a chip on our shoulder about Barbie. These were the images that we were given. And it wasn't until later when, um, like even way in 2000 and 2004, she was presidential candidate Barbie. And in 2008 was president Barbie. Well, it's 2023. We've never had president Barbie. Um, so Barbie's at least ahead of time in our society than we were, but it's just this, you know, we're 50% of the population and yet we're still only 15 to 70% of Congress. There's never been a female president. We have queens who are female and prime ministers who are female in history. So in some way, Barbie kind of predates our real life history a little bit, but it's still just the constant reminder of, oh yeah, fashion designer number two or three comes out in 2012, you know? So, so the, <laughs> and, I, and I know that you've got a lot of stuff here, but for the sake of time, I, I want to make a comment that I find mm-hmm. it fascinating the discussion about Barbie. Yeah. Right. I mean, we know it's, it's a great success speak and we know that, you know, the, I, the grew up around the... Bar- I, I grew up around Barbie <laughs> uh-huh. and yet with everything you're talking about, right. There's a new Netflix movie out called Nyad. I have not seen it yet, Oh, okay. <clears throat> but it is, it's the story of uh, an athlete, uh, Diane, I think her name's Diana. Yes. Diana Nyad, she was 60 years old and she set out to swim from Cuba to Florida, 100 yeah. miles of open water. It's based on a true story. Annette Benning plays her and Jodie Foster plays the coach. Wow. Two, it's a very strong, from what I can tell, female movie. Here's what's fascinating. Just yesterday, I'm reading a newspaper article and it is entitled literally it's not a review of Nyad. It is not a discussion of Diana Nyad. It's not any of that. It's did Annette Benning and Jodie Foster really not wear makeup in the movie? <laughs> of course it is. Of course that's the question. Of course that's and it's the like question. so. So again, it's why do we as a male-dominated society? So we think. Yeah. Why are we? Why are we so threatened by this? Yeah. Yeah. Why can't it just be, this is freaking Diana Nyad. She's a, she's a superhero. Yeah. This is Annette Benning. She's a freaking amazing actor. Yeah. And by the way, I think, I, I hope our listeners have noticed that we have, for the most part, at least in my world, stopped calling them actors and actresses. Everybody's mm-hmm. an actor. Except for best actress. That throws me off sometimes. It, so it, it does. But, with me. You know, most, most of my friends in the entertainment industry consider actors. themselves actors female magicians mm-hmm. we went through a phrase a, a phase of magician and magician um they're, <laughs> they're, you know it's, they're, they're magicians right everybody right. is e- everybody's equal right so skipping over the barbie movie itself the fair play documentary from 2022 on hulu 
talks about how the pandemic is a classic example of how we see women in society. Because parents could not work and homeschool at the same time, within two months of schools and, sh and childcare closing, 60% um, of childcare programs closed and one in three are still closed. And babysitters, um, housekeepers, nannies, there's still unemployment. And the scary stat is 2 million plus women dropped out of the workforce, which was four times as many women as men. It basically set us back two decades of progress. And that workforce has lost the talent that goes along with this, right? So it showed us that in a crisis, women become our social safety nets. Our social system and structures are still built on the idea, outdated, of a one salary household and a stay-at-home mom. And if we as society can convince women that they're better at multitasking, that their time is endless instead of finite, that they are better at caregiving, wiping butts and changing diapers, and that caregiving is too expensive for our society to help with, so it's better for moms to stay home and do it for free then we will all collude into keeping this same system up and functional and we won't invest our time or our money in equality. And that's that's the real nut of the nut. Why are we doing it? There's so much sacrifice and invisible work that the women in the world have done either through low paid nanny, teacher, nursing positions, or through staying at home and having their work seen as free or doing what's called the second shift, working a full shift and then going home and working at night that we're really colluding with this idea that um, women's time and skill is not as valued as men and men get the backlash too. If a man stays home with the kids it's hard. They, they receive a lot of judgment from other men as not being good enough or, or strong enough or not ruling the nest or wearing the pants in the family, or, you know, there's all this very gendered biased stuff going on. I, I just heard, I shed. just, I just heard somebody in their thirties refer to their spouse as the leader of the family. Wow. There's hope. I hope, I hope there's hope. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's like, why can't both of you be leaders, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like I didn't even have time to get to the stuff in the Barbie movie today, but I guess I will leave our audience with this. And that is, I think if you found your way to this podcast, you have a good heart and you have good intentions because why the hell would you be listening to this podcast? <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> um, and yet the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And the reason for that is that if we don't confront our biases and be intentional about overcoming them, we're just at the effect of what the culture is feeding us. Yeah. And in this case, we're at the effect of what Hollywood is feeding us is that women are the object seen through a man's eyes. It's no. even, it, by the way, it's even literature. And I've, yes. I've got to tell you, you've heard me talk about this movie before. Um, 
but it's based on the the real diaries and poems of Veronica Franco out of Venice. Um, and it's called Dangerous Beauty. And you want to see a strong female character based on a real strong female person yeah. um, who learned to rise above exactly what Michelle is talking about. So, uh, you know, my big thing is my big takeaway for listeners at the very least, I'm a pretty practical guy, right? Yeah. I still think we come back to both nurture and nature. There are two there are two things here. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking anyone to change their nature, not the least for this episode. Right, um, right. What, 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 what I am asking you to do at the very least is start asking, where did I learn that? Yes, thank you. That's the nurture part, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because we've modeled things and they may not be your own thoughts. Yeah, that's right. They may not be your own thoughts. They may be the culture, your family of origin, a long history, um, societal expectations. And maybe it's time to shed some of those archaic beliefs and thoughts and start with your own home. Who's in your life? What's your mother's story? What's your daughter's story? What's your wife's story? Like start in your own home. What sacrifice did they make if you're a man to help you in your career? And is it is it time to do some reparation around that? And yeah, if you're a woman, much. are you colluding? Do you is it time for you to speak your truth and ask for what you need? There we go. Maybe that's the best way to end that. Um I think we can all do better. Yes. Let's do better. <laughs> uh, next next week, uh, we are uh, talking about practicing patience. Um, I can't tell you I'm the most patient person, so this is going to be a real adventure ride for me. Uh, <laughs> and we will talk about that. In the meantime, I really, uh, as does Michelle, would appreciate you liking, subscribing, and sharing our podcast on your favorite platform so that we can continue to grow this. And uh, as always, if you want to reach out to any of us, Michelle, how can people reach you? Through my website, postinternationalinc.com. And you can reach me through thinkingmagically.com. And with that, everybody, have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.